Today's lesson is from Psalm 124. If had it not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up whole alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. Then the torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark in the fourth chapter, beginning at the 35th verse. Glory be to thee, O Christ. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking onto the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the gospel of Christ. Praise be to thee, O Christ. As we are standing, please pray with me. Father, we ask for your help in our time of need, not just for your help, but for your very presence, for your very self with us, for us, and beside us, through your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, if you're like me and you enjoy a good long-distance hike, it's important every now and then along the way to stop and rest, take a break, and then you can then take the time to just look back, just retrace your steps, see, see how far you've come. Now, what, what are the points and um, points of the landscape you've gone through, how you even got to where you are now along the journey? In much the same way, as we're all still together on this pilgrim way of life, on this journey of faith, it's also good every now and then to stop and reflect, to take a break, to just stop what we're doing, and then look back on our own life, retrace our steps, see how far we've come along the way, see how far our families' lives have come along the way, and what we've been through, and how we even got to where we are today as we're seated right now in this place. Now, Psalm 124, that Psalm invites us to 
also along the pilgrim way of life to just stop and reflect and look back. Let's look back. But of course, the psalm is not just inviting us to do just a bit of retrospection. It's inviting us to look back with intention, with a purpose, that is to find and locate the presence of God along the way. Now, you you would most likely be familiar with the, the classic poem, Footprints in the Sand, which decades ago were made into these print frames, and they're probably hanging or have hung in your home or your parents' home. Now, the poem describes someone looking back in their own life, and he sees two footprints along the shore, one belonging to them and the other to God. And, but at, he, they notice that at certain points in their life, there's only one set of footprints, particularly during those moments in their life of incredible difficulty. The person then prays and questions God, why, why did you abandon me during those very, very hard times? Then God explains, gives the answer, and explains that he was the one all along who had carried that person during those moments. The poem illustrates a very simple but important truth that all the way through the journey of life, God is always with us, for us, and beside us as our helper, companion, and friend. Now, Psalm 124, more or less, it's this ancient equivalent of this footprints poem, but with, of course, a lot more edge and with a lot more grit, rawness to it. So now I invite us now to turn in your Bibles or apps to Psalm 124, or you could grab a pew Bible in front of you. It's like a blue Bible. It's on page 572. Now, Psalm 124, it's this is attributed to King David. Now, he's here acting as the lead liturgist. So as, as the music leader, as it were, he summons the citizens of Israel into this act of solemn remembrance through his song, which is a song of anamnesis. Anamnesis. What is that word? That's a fancy word for remembrance. But it's a, it's a very specific type of remembering. See, anamnesis is a remembrance that brings up the past to present reality so that we can enter into it, so that we can participate in that reality. Amnesis brings up history into our present midst so that we can enter into it and participate in that reality. That's exactly what we do whenever we celebrate communion. The Eucharist is our Christian act of anamnesis, bringing up to the present means the, the past and historic event of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, and then us together by faith and with thanksgiving enter into it, participate in its gospel reality in remembrance of Jesus, in anamnesis of him. So back then, during these three Jewish pilgrimage feasts, as pilgrims regrouped themselves with other fellow travelers along scattered across the landscape on their way to Jerusalem, they would regroup themselves spiritually, as it were, by singing this psalm, Psalm 124. Not just so that they could look back, retrace their steps along the road that they've just traveled on, but they would do so to look back spiritually or historically in time, in faith, to their collective national story 
and remember exactly the ways God had been with them, how God has helped them, how God has always been by their side. As they sung this psalm, they bring up to their present midst in the desert, in the wilderness, on the way to Jerusalem, the memory, the reality of God's real presence in their lives as individuals, but also as a people. So in verse 1, King David calls all the faithful ones in Israel to affirm and bring to remembrance that God is the Lord who was on their side. The Lord on our side. Wait, is David, it's, it's sounding like God takes sides here. Right? Like that God plays favorites. You know, he's on Team Israel. He's wearing the Jewish jersey and, and everyone else is on the losing team. Is that what David is saying here? You know, the phrase, the Lord was on our side, that's in the past tense form of the Hebrew Emmanuel. As you know, Emmanuel means God with us. I mean, what's being affirmed here is that God is actually a kind of God. He's, he's a kind of person who comes alongside. He would run up, run up to your side. A God who stands by the side of them who trust and look to him for help. I bet for a lot of us, whenever we, could, we would imagine or picture ourselves, our relationship with God, it's probably along this vertical axis, right? This top-bottom orientation between us and God. And yeah, we, we are right to do so. That's, that's biblical. But how, how often do we picture ourselves between us and God, laterally, in a horizontal way, side by side. See, as I reflected on this and thought more about my own relationship with God, I admit that I feel more comfortable with the top-bottom orientation. I mean, that may not be the case for you, but what I mean is that it feels so much safer. Oh, it feels so much cozier if there's way more space between me and God, right? You know, God being way up there, me being way down here. Like, he doesn't have to encroach on my personal space. He's not right here. It's way up there. I'll, I'll pray to God when I get desperate. I'll dial 911 when I really think it's an emergency. But until then, I, I got my whole life pretty much under control. I mean, that's the illusion. For me, at least, it feels so easy to relate to God like he's my boss, my, my supervisor, like he's the CEO at his penthouse office so that we can maintain that relationship on a professional level. No face-to-face, no phone calls, just the occasional emails for my performance review. I don't have to be chums with God, talk about my problems with Him, share my most private and personal stuff with Him, my family finances with Him, my spending habits with Him. I don't have to talk about that. Keep our boundaries. You stay up there. Me down here. We don't have to be friends. I don't know if you relate to that. Because that feels safer. That feels cozy. Than a God who befriends you. Who really is interested in you. Who loves me and who I can love back. Who is unwavering in his interest and care with every single thing that I do. Say, think, feel, and desire. And decide. 
who is always around during the highest points and the darkest tragedies of my life and everything in between the most boring moments of my life, who's always more willing to hear a word from me than I am to utter or give a peep to him, who has given himself, his son, and his spirit to me. So now there's nothing, there's nothing that he could ask of me that would be too much of a sacrifice on my part. If you want to feel safe and cozy, that kind of relationship with God, that's, that's way too serious. That's commitment. That is so risky. It demands so much more from us. But then you'll be transformed. You'll be changed. You'll be drawn out from yourself and into the heart of God and into the heart's of others into the world. Because that's what love does to you. That's what God does to you. If he gets that close. And you get that close to God. If you want to know God as the God beside you, God on your side, God with you and for you and beside you, do you know God this way? For the rest of Psalm 124, David brings up uh, to the present how God in the past had always been Israel's helper and companion and friend during the darkest moments of their history. Now David does this in five ways. He depicts in five different ways these horrific moments of personal and national crisis during which he and Israel experienced God alongside them, beside them. In verses 2 to 7. David says, God rescued Israel from their enemies, from a monster, a flood, a wild beast, and a bird's trap. All of these five images combined, they depict this common universal struggle of our humanity against evil as coming from both moral and natural sources. Obviously, from a moral source, evil comes from within us, out of us. People like us, we do and plan and work out evil. Of course, David here specifically refers to Israel's political enemies, the surrounding nations that have planned out and worked out evil against God's people. And then David becomes more specific here that he remembers his enemy setting a trap like a fowler against the birds of the air, like he was wild game. See, a bird being hunted, they're no match for its hunters. There's no contest. A bird is totally helpless against the cunning and genius of human trappers. The traps against the birds are cleverly designed and set up to lure and capture. So this is an image that David's portraying of complete destitution himself and his people in complete mercy of those more powerful and more cunning than they are. And they have evil intentions. Imagine being in the hands of someone like that, an organization like that, a group of people with cunning, with power over you, and with evil intention. Sadly, some of us have experienced this kind of evil in our own lives from people with bad intentions, with evil genius, seeking to entrap and exploit us, These may be from your past relationships, or even right now you have current relationships 
that are proving to be very toxic. These may have left you feeling helpless, trapped, vulnerable, confused. David testifies. This is now David testifying to having gone through this himself. And he testifies to having somehow, miraculously, escaping mortal and political danger. Like a bird narrowly, narrowly missing, escaping a fowler's trap. Now for a bird to miss a trap, that would be a matter of incredible odds. Again, these traps are designed to do what's effective. But if a bird misses it, it's probably a matter of chance. Or that the trap is defective or the people, the hunters were negligent or they're careless. But David doesn't say that's what happened. Like his escaping, the people escaping is not a fluke. It's not chance or luck or circumstances. And it's not that the enemies were just dumbfounded or they were careless. David says that he escaped because God broke the trap. He attributes it to divine source of deliverance. God destroyed their devices. God foiled the schemes. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Now in the invisible realms, the devil has set his ancient traps all over and throughout our lives to lure and capture us in our sin and with the intention to destroy us, whether physically or more so spiritually. But then on the cross, God destroyed the snares of the devil by canceling the record of our debts and its legal demands over us, setting it aside and nailing it to the cross, disarming the demonic rulers and principalities of the air and putting them to open shame, triumphing over them in Jesus Christ. And because of that, we can escape. We have an escape. The snare of the evil one is broken, and we can escape. God rescues us from moral evil. But God also rescues us from natural evil, evil that does not come from us or demons. Now in verse 3, David describes being rescued from a monster, being swallowed up as it were. This is a mythic manifestation of evil. Seen as devouring, like consuming with, in it all its rage, the indiscriminate. See, the ultimate monster that we must, each one of us will face. We will face this monster. It's, it's the monster death. It continues to swallow and swallow and swallow up everything without satisfaction. In verse 4, David talks about the flood. He talks in verse 5, it describes it as raging Literally in Hebrew, as boiling mad. It's, it's boiling and foaming all over. He's describing here flash floods. Yeah, these flash floods, as the name suggests, it comes out of nowhere. And there are real dangers still in Palestine even today when heavy clouds just empty out quickly in high elevations and they drain out into these ravines and channels. It's a metaphor for the absurdity, the randomness, and the chaos of evil. You can't control it. You don't see it coming. It's, they're freak accidents. They're calamities and cataclysms, whether it be the economy or natural disasters. They don't discriminate at all in its wake. They don't care who you are or what degree you have or how much you make. It'll destroy you. And then lastly, the wild beast in verse 6. 
He may be talking about the lion, the wolf, the jackal, or the bear. We don't know. But there's these teeth and talons, and they, bre- they prey on the weak, the sick, and the tired. These predators will chase you down until you're wore out and worn down. They grab and gnaw, they maul and bite, they chew and eat you up alive while you're still breathing. This is a metaphor for the evil of attrition. Attrition, it wears you down. It wears you out. Especially those moments when your guard is down, when you're hangry, when you're exhausted, you don't have enough sleep, you're burning out and you're just so bored, you're frustrated and irritable, you're feeling aimless and restless in your life. That's when this predator will jump out and pounce at you without you knowing it. It becomes this internal erosion in your integrity. It eats up your own patience, your resolve, and you slowly are consumed by it inside. These predators will gnaw at you alive. God rescues us from these natural evils, from human evil, the monster, the flood, the wild beast, the bird's trap. God delivers us from all evil in all its forms. But we're not spared from suffering any of them. God did not promise that I will spare you from experiencing human evil, the monster death, the wild beast, the trap, the flood. Or else we wouldn't be reading. There wouldn't be a Psalm 124. There wouldn't be one. See, if David had not suffered from the hands of his enemies came face to face many times with the monster death, almost drowned in the flood, wrestled with the lion and the bear, having been lured to his enemy's traps. There won't be a psalm, but we have it. But the difference is that God, God does not give us over to the destructive forces of evil, whereby now our humanity breaks apart. Our soul, our morality collapses in its wake. Our, our faith quivers, collapses, it just breathes out its last and gets destroyed. See, on every side, even today, we are hard-pressed. These are the words of Paul. We are hard-pressed. But we're not crushed. We're wearied, but not in despair. Mistreated, but not forsaken. We are struck down on the ground, bleeding. But we're not destroyed. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us, me, you, over to as prey to the teeth of the evil one. See, well, Psalm 124, this is not a happy song. It's not a song that waxes nostalgic of past times of no pain and no inconvenience. This is a song that looks back to the horrors of trauma, the horrors of crisis, of pain and real mortal danger. And then finds the footprints of God along the dark and treacherous way with the trails of His power, the trails of His deliverance over our life. If you look back on your own life, Retrace your steps. See how far you've come along the way. What you've been through, what your kids have been through, and how you even got to where 
you are right now. Can you say with David, were it not for the Lord that been on my side, I would have been undone. I would be no more. My family would be no more. Can you say that? Could you find in every step of the way of your life the hidden and sovereign presence of God? Now one pitch black evening in the middle of Lake Tiberias, there was this freak windstorm that came out of nowhere. And it then threatened the lives of Jesus and his disciples as their boat began to fill up with water. And literally and figuratively, Jesus was in the same boat as his friends. But Mark described him as sleeping on a cushion on the stern of the boat. And so his disciples, these were trained professional fishermen and seafarers. They could not handle the boat. They could not handle the storm. So what they do, they then escalate it and they dial 911. It was too much. So it's about time to pray, they thought. So this is a real emergency. So they wake Jesus up and in absolute panic almost berates him and accuses him of being negligent, being indifferent. Teacher, do you, don't you care that we are dying here? Wake up. Don't we sometimes pray to God like this? Jesus wakes up, he calms the storm, and all were delivered. The calming of the storm that allegorized the ultimate deliverance of our humanity. When God would deliver his only son over to the evil intentions and the traps of his enemies. When God gave Jesus up to be swallowed by the monster death, drowning in the flood of our sin, preyed upon by the roaring lion, the devil. God did not spare his only son from evil, but he delivered him. He delivered him from its destructive power, neither abandoning him to the grave nor seeing him in corruption. Now Jesus, who reigns and rules forever, now sits sovereign in heaven as God with us, as God one of us, God for us, God beside us. And though the pilgrim way ahead of us is marked with pain, with loss, he who had walked the road of his own passion, he who remains to be in the same boat as we are, won't give us over to temptation, but will deliver us from evil. Let me end with the beloved words of hymn writer Katharina von Schlegel. She wrote this. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on your side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to your God to order and provide. In, in every change, he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul, your, your best, your heavenly friend, through stormy ways, leads to a joyful end. Be still, my soul. The waves and winds still know his voice that ruled them, that dwelt below. Let us on the pilgrim way feel and know Jesus Christ as the God for us, God as one of us, God beside us. 
Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.